0: Welcome to the Idea Climbing Podcast. My name is Mark J. Carter, and I'll be your host. Today, we'll be talking with the Rockstar Venture Capitalist about how to approach potential mentors, how to avoid common mentoring pitfalls, and how to create more successful mentoring relationships. Hello, we're here with Troy Hennikoff, serial entrepreneur and venture capitalist. Thank you for being here, Troy. Thanks for having me. This is going to be fun. And we're going to jump right into where you and I left off our last conversation. We're talking about mentoring and financial models. And what's the most important thing that people are currently coming to you for and saying, I just want advice on this. Not necessarily pitching you, just saying, give me advice. I'm stuck
1: yeah, so in one, the startup world. One of the things you just mentioned, one of the things that uh, I've gotten to be known for, good or bad, is helping entrepreneurs build financial models. And the reason that I think that this is so, so, so important is that with an accurate financial model, If you do it well, it's almost like a crystal ball into your future. And what I mean by that is if you understand the inputs and you understand the effect that those inputs have, how many customers I get each month, what my customer acquisition cost is, my lifetime value, et cetera, that as those inputs change, you can predict how your future is going to change. And so it allows you to actually see the trajectory of your business before it happens. So if someone
0: right now is listening and think wow that sounds great I want that how do I approach what advice do you have for them for approaching that again that mentor that advisor how cuz that seems to be a ambiguous gray area of how do I even get those answers in the first place how do they approach should they approach somebody Yeah
1: so I give a talk it's a 90 minute sometimes 120 minute talk on how to build a successful financial model and I do it all over the place I do it around the country for tech stars cohorts um, I think I did seven or eight different cohort locations last year. Um, here at 1871, I just did it a couple months ago. I'll probably do it twice a year or so. I do it for some things within 1871. So I do it to the Techstar Chicago cohort. I do it for the WisSTEM cohort. I do it for IHCC cohort. And so, um, and places even outside of 1871, I just, I'm doing one next week at MHub. hub So, um, you know, if you find one of the places I'm doing it and you sign up, love to have you.
0: How about outside of that, as far as mentoring in general, as far as people that want to approach someone, what's some of the tripwires you see people creating when they first try to approach a mentor, but they're kind of missing the mark and not going about it the right way?
1: Yeah, one of the biggest mistakes I think people make is they equate mentor with funder. And so they'll come in and the first thing they'll do is say, I want to raise money. I, I, I want you to fund my business. And um, that's sort of like asking somebody to marry you on the first date. Sorry for the bad analogy, but it really is. Um, you need to get to know the company. You need to get to know the people. And what I try to do is invest time in helping them and giving them advice. And, and that's why I always say, ask for advice first. Mm-hmm. Don't ask for money. Because um, when you ask for money, you're likely to get advice. When you ask for advice, if you're good, you might get money eventually. Um, And it takes time, too, the whole raising money thing. Um, Very few investors meet someone and write a check right then. I've never heard of that happening, right? What happens is they see a company along a trajectory for a period of time. The longer the period of time they've watched the trajectory, the more confidence they have that the trajectory is going to continue and is accurate. And so the, the pithy expression is investors invest in lines, not points. What do you mean by that? If they meet you at one point, and then they meet you at a second point, they meet you at a third point, they can connect those points and connect the dots and make a line and see the trajectory. And so um, they invest in that trajectory, in that line, that growth, because investors are investing in your future, and the only way to predict the future is see what you have done so far, Um, not points, in that they won't invest in a single point. If they meet you once, they don't know, okay, great, I know where you are today, but are you up or down from where you were before? But if I meet you today and then I meet you in two months and I meet you two months later and each time you've doubled your number of customers or doubled your revenue, oh my God, this thing is taking off. I gotta get in. And it's that trajectory that investors are looking for.
0: How can someone create that trajectory? Cause that happens so often too. There's a great first time conversation and then reaching out again, it's well, I can't really ask for a favor yet. We've only met once or twice. How do you create that trajectory in that line of points? following up after a first meeting without just give me money or give me advice and everyone wants your time? How can they create it?
1: Yeah. So interestingly, if you follow what I just said to its logical extreme, you'll have a better chance at raising money. You'll have a better chance at creating a steep trajectory. If your first meeting, you undersell. The temp- the temptation is always to oversell. I will tell you how great my company is and how amazing it is in the first meeting. But then for the next... Dot to be above that, you, you've just set the bar really high. If in your first meeting you undersell a little bit, you're like, listen, I've got this interesting company, I have lots of things I'm trying to figure out, here's where we are. You're honest, but don't oversell. Then in the next meeting, the bar you you just have to exceed where you were in the first meeting, which isn't as hard, right? And so you come back and say, listen, I've made some great progress on those things we talked about last month, but I've got a whole new set of questions. I need to know how do I hire my first salesperson or how do I accurately set pricing or what are your opinions on you know, when it's right time to scale and when it's right time to be focusing on product market fit. But come with new questions that you're looking for new advice that are indicative of a company that is making progress. right? If you come back with the same question three, four, five times in a row, it feels like you're not learning. But they're always, every business, no matter what stage, has difficult problems it's trying to solve. Even big, fancy, publicly traded companies, right? Apple, the highest capitalized company in the, in the world right now, is deciding how many products should it have. They just stopped making the Apple monitor. Like, that was a hard decision. Should we have a monitor? Shouldn't we have, a, like, right? You know, should we have more products? Fewer product. Like, there are strategic decisions that are hard to make, even when you have close to a trillion dollar market cap.
0: How can someone share with you, share with mentors where they're not overselling and also exposing, you know, maybe there is that wound or something they're not that good at without making it be a deal breaker? Because I know some people will say that for the pitches. I can't say that. They won't want to work with me. Where is that line of being vulnerable and yet knowing that you're at a growth stage?
1: Yeah. So as a mentor, I like when the best thing that can happen is when we sit down and the person across the table has a clear objective of what they want to achieve. So if they don't offer it up, I ask it in the first 30 seconds. And I'll literally say, I'll say, Mark, we got 28 minutes left. What do you want to achieve in the next 28 minutes? And hopefully you come back with, oh, I would love some advice on these three things. Or I'm trying to figure out who I should meet in the tech ecosystem. or. Um, You know, I'm, I'm looking to decide what my next strategic initiative is, I'd like your input on it. And so it's this combination of being confident in that I know what I need to work on while being humble and knowing you don't have the answer, right? There's this fine line between... And if you're overconfident, it comes off as arrogant and cocky and yucky, right? That's bad. And if you're underconfident, it comes off as, as being insecure and not having enough. There's a real balance, there's an art here, but coming to someone and saying, I would love the next 28 minutes if we could talk about my strategy for going to market and I'd love to hear what you think the three best ways I can attack it are. Like that's, to- that's great. I'm setting the agenda as the, as the mentee and I'm asking you for help in a very specific and actionable way.
0: And how is that mix of a conversation exactly like that? How should the mix on, on advice for the mentor side be between you should do this and, well, here's what I did, where it's more reflective as opposed to prescriptive? Where is that balance that mentors should have in those meetings?
1: So I actually think that the most effective mentoring is when you get the person you are mentoring to answer their own questions. So what I end up doing is asking the mentee a bunch of questions. Well, how are you thinking about this? What are your options? What are the pluses and minuses of each one? It's really important that they understand how we together came to this conclusion of prioritization or whatever it is, because they're going to get, if they're good and they're talking to a lot of people, they're going to get something that we at Techstars called mentor whiplash. You have a problem, you ask a bunch of mentors, one's gonna say turn left, one's gonna say turn right, one says go up, one says go down, one says go backwards, one says go forwards. And the first year we ran, we were Accelerate Labs back then, 2010. I remember one of my CEOs coming to me and saying, hey, Troy, I don't know what to do. This one great mentor, he said to turn left. This other great mentor, she said to turn right. What should I do? And I said, well, why did he say to turn left? He said, I don't know. So why did she say to turn right? He said, I don't know. I said, well, then I can't help you. And he said, ah, what do I do? I said, well, you have to understand the why. What in their life's experience caused them to think you should go left or go right? And then you need to make the right decision for yourself, for your company and your situation. And so the only way I know to do that is to to not preach, but to ask lots of questions. And so when someone comes to me with a problem, I ask a lot of questions, and they ultimately are the one who decides what's right for them. I'm just helping them frame the problem. So is that something mentees
0: should be planned on, plan on doing it, Mentor A says, you should go left. Always include, why should I go left?
1: Yeah, because if you don't understand the why, then you don't know if that is relevant to you or not. Right. And then what I say is, you know, what in their life experience caused them to think you should go left?
0: Should that be an actual question for them? What have you done? What have you seen?
1: I, yeah, I, I, I love that. And so I love when mentees will say, well, really, that's different than what I'm hearing. Why do you think this? And then I'll talk about why. And I, you know, I, it's likely that my life's experiences are different than yours. And what I say may not apply. But um, getting to the why, it's sort of like the old adage, right? Teach a person to fish and they eat for a day. Teach them to fish and they eat for a lifetime. I want to teach people how to fish. I don't want to give them a fish.
0: So with all those whys, what, one that comes up with possible, with mentees, mentors, startups, college students, so many of them, why do mentors give back? That's, so I've heard that so much. We're like, I, he, I don't, he doesn't have time or she's too busy. I don't even want to ask, why do mentors give back? And especially time, that's the most valuable thing they have.
1: So time is my most valuable resource. There's no question about it. But there's nothing I enjoy more than sitting down with a really smart person who thinks they're going to change the world, and hearing why he or she thinks they're going to be successful at it, and helping them succeed in that process. And you know, as an investor in a VC fund, I, I hear these pitches. I hear these these. Um, you know, I sit in these situations all day long, and I love it because. I'm listening to some of the best and brightest and smartest and I'm learning along the way. Not just learning from the new things that they're doing, but I'm collecting data points so that I can help the next person. And um, I love doing it. We only end up investing in a tiny, tiny, tiny fraction of those people. We did some, uh, some research and over the first four years of our fund, I think we looked at, we met with 4,300 companies and we made 16 venture investments. So I'm gonna say no more than 99 times out of 100. But this is what we do. We try to help people and we try to help them along. And um, you know, some of, some of them will end up having the ability to invest in and be along for the ride. But it's awesome. It, there's nothing more fun and more rewarding than helping someone figure out what's right and and be successful and get to that place of success.
0: What are those data points you mentioned? It was prima and passing. You're collecting how you you said you're collecting data points from each person to help other people with. What do you mean by that?
1: Yeah, so there's a lot of pattern matching in investing, right? Trying to do I, do I understand what made one company successful when another company wasn't, right? What was it that made Google? Google was not the first search engine, for example. So long before Google was what I thought was the unbeatable search engine of Alta Vista, And why did Google succeed where AltaVista didn't? And before AltaVista, there were many others. And when you distill it down and understand that Google was maniacally focused on the customer experience, and they figured out a way using their algorithm and page rank to figure out which pages to show to give the user a better experience to eliminate spam and to have the most relevant results come up, then all of a sudden a light bulb goes off and you say, wow, okay, I understand what happened there. How can I apply that somewhere else? And so it's this process of understanding, not just accepting at face value that Google beat Alta Vista, but understanding why Google beat Alta Vista and how, and then applying that going forward. So how about for you with mentoring? I mean, why
0: is it so important to you? Was it always in your DNA or was there some aha moment like you tripped over it in college?
1: Uh, I tripped over it a long time after college. Um, (laughs) No, but I mean, always in my DNA. I'm a teacher at heart, right? I I do actually teach, so I teach at the Kellogg School uh, one quarter a year, but I've always been a teacher. Even when I was running my first company and we were doing custom software development, what I was doing was a very consultative sale. So when we'd go talk to a company about what their problem was, my approach was to teach them a little bit about how technology could solve their problem. And over the course of that, that's just how I naturally communicate. But over the course of that, what ends up happening is they have a lot of confidence that I'm gonna be able to build that solution, and then they select us, and then we do the project, and we finish it, right, and, and have a happy customer, and it leads to another happy customer. So I, it is in my DNA. I'm very much a teacher.
0: And that with, with they, that's the potential clients and clients that you're talking about because you're helping them, you're guiding them. Would it be guiding instead of selling them for the startups listening that might wanna be tweaking their sales process?
1: everybody has their own sales approach. And you have to be... um, Number one is that you have to be authentic about what works for you. So, and I learned this early on, we had a guy who was one of our better salespeople who was sort of the comedian. So he'd get up in front of a group, we were selling the hospital, software to hospitals at the time. And he'd tell jokes about the material manager and and he'd get the crowd laughing. And then he'd kind of give a couple of features and benefits of our product. and, And he usually got the sale and he'd build a great relationship. And he was a great relationship manager. He didn't really understand the product that thoroughly, Right? He wasn't an engineer. My sales approach was very different. When I would meet with potential customers, I understood the product inside and out because I architected it. And so when he would get to the point, he'd get the meetings, he'd get the initial customer call, cold calls, et cetera. And then when he had a meeting with the CTO and the CFO and the VP of finance, he'd get all nervous and he'd say, Troy, can you, can you, can you come and help me do this pitch in Tulsa, Oklahoma? And I loved that part. Because I love the hard questions, because the more pointed the questions they asked, the more I was able to show them my deep understanding of the product. And that's what ended up winning the business. So he and I were great compliments. I could never sell in his style. I can't get up in front of a crowd and tell jokes, right? I'm not this amazing relationship cold calling guy. He could never sell in my style. He didn't have the depth of understanding of the product. So number one thing in sales is you have to be authentic you have to you have to deliver information in the way that's natural and authentic to you
0: how can people discover that because that's a huge thing of well i saw it could be that partner i saw him present so therefore i have to go tell jokes because that's what works how do people find their own and stay true to themselves because they can learn it from watching watching a presentation without even talking to you
1: you can't. I don't. I don't know how I found my voice. It just happened naturally. I wish I had a, a magic formula for you. But what I do know, I'll give you an example. And it happened. I don't know. It was about four years ago. I was teaching at Kellogg, and I was teaching a course um, in new venture discovery. And uh, one, there's a great professor there, Carter Cast, and Carter gave the t- does a great lecture on uh, marketing and figuring out marketing strategies. And he was gonna come to my class to teach that section of it. It's 10 week class that week. And it turned out that um, he and his wife were having a baby and the baby was, it, it turned out he couldn't make it to class cause he was at the hospital delivering a baby. So I had to teach it. I had all of his notes, I had his deck. I'm like, oh, I can do this. I've seen Carter do it. I can, I'll, this is easy. I was horrible. I would have been much better off not using any of his materials and teaching it my way. Again, I was I was not being authentic to my voice, my own voice, and my own knowledge. It was very apparent to the class. It was very apparent to me. It was awkward. Oh, so that was only a few years ago. So it, you kind of have to get reinforced every once in a while.
0: Reinforced about your own style.
1: Reinforced that you need to stay true to your own style. Yeah, I think so.
0: And it, how do, how does that play a role when people reach out? as far as with two possible mentors and help with their own style and being being so it's not too maybe do they need to tone down if recognize they are too jokey or they get familiar too quick how does that play a role when you're approaching that mentor so you don't either have an oopsie or just realize wow i should i do need to present more facts because it's this kind of situation how do you balance that out with personal style
1: I think you have to be natural to how you best communicate with others and there are people who will do it very folksy and there are people who will who will tell jokes and be lighthearted, and i i love people who are lighthearted and tell jokes i'm just not very good at delivering them myself um that doesn't mean i don't like jokes um but you also at the same time if you're if we're engaging in a conversation we have to be intellectually honest with each other and we have to be direct And I really believe in that. Um, And so, and you have to answer with the headline. So how many times have I asked someone a simple question like, what is your customer acquisition cost? I'm expecting the answer to be a number, $47.23. And I get a story. Well, you see there are 27 different buckets and it depends if we're going on left or right or blah, 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 and five minutes into it, I'll stop them and I'll say, the answer's a number. And and they, they kind of think I'm being a jerk sometimes, but I'm really trying to help them. Answer with the headline. You can say our current customer acquisition cost averages $47.23 and pause, read the body language. If I want more I'm gonna say, oh really? That's your average. So is it broken up into different channels and different by channel, or does everybody pay exactly the same, cost exactly the same? And if I want more information, I'll get it. But when you go into a long story Couple things happen. One, you bore me, because I'm not listening until I hear the answer I want. Two, you're revealing a whole bunch of other stuff that might be um, problems in your business that I had never thought of before. And now I have lots of other things to ask you questions about and reasons why you know I may not invest. So make sure you answer with the headline, pause, keep it brief. That allows you to get on to the next question.
0: After that, to continue to start closing this out, what's what would that be? I do a great job, I answer the question. What other tips do you have from your decades of mentoring and being mentored that are just those snippets that, God, if you're going to go for it, do this one or this one thing or do these two things, like start with the headline. What else?
1: Yeah. So um, when you're coming in and asking for advice, it's awesome. And then wrap up with a follow-up. Make sure you follow up and thank the person who gave you a bunch of time make sure you do that with an ask hey would it be okay if after i implement this thing that we just talked about be specific that i come back to you with the results i love when people come back with results because again that's more data points right if we talked about a unique way to acquire customers and then you come back in 30 days and tell me how that worked or didn't work i'm going to be smarter for it i love you you just made me smarter right and so make sure you follow up in a meaningful way and or have a, that was a great session on, on customer acquisition. Could I come back in a month, give you some results and then maybe we can talk about direct sales strategy? Again, showing you're learning, you're building on top of what you did before.
0: Which every startup should be doing. So coming back with, here's what I did. It sounds like it's better than coming back with, okay, I love what you said about customer acquisition. Now let's talk about my financial model with leaving a result in the middle out is not the way to yeah, go. Yeah,
1: show that you can execute right take what you've learned in the last in the over the last period of time by the way it's okay to come back and say troy that thing you you suggested it failed let me tell you why and then i want some more of a, that's awesome too that's more learning for me again and i'm sure that many of not certainly not all of my ideas work there are lots of things that that are going to fail in the marketplace at the end of the day it doesn't matter what i think it matters what the market thinks, and so you're coming back with actual market data on how you tested something and what the results were, is awesome.
0: I think that's actually an awesome, awesome statement to close out on too. Is if you're going to go back to your mentors, go back with some kind of metric, something happened, show you listened and did something, not just come back with another question. Yep, and build the relationship from there. Thank you very much, Troy. We appreciate it. Great. This was fun. Talk to you soon. Thank you for listening today. Be sure to go to ideaclimbing.com to learn more about idea climbing and hear other conversations about mentoring, marketing, and more.